0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, for those of you who don't know me, I'm I'm Ron Young. I'm the prodigal elder. no, I'm actually, I'm one of the elders of Jacob's Well. I'm currently on sabbatical, so um, I do get to make an appearance and preach. So I'm very honored to do that. It's, uh, it's always a privilege. Uh, Dan asked me if I would uh, be able to preach today and then asked if I could do something on Thanksgiving. Um, <clears throat> first thing that popped into my head was a favorite verse of mine. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you from First Thessalonians. That's the King James Version, the one that says rejoice evermore um, instead of uh, rejoice always. And uh, <clears throat> so when I first began to prepare the sermon, I had a different thought in mind. But as the scripture kept kind of hitting me, um, we've ended up with something very different, even though we will talk about Thanksgiving. So if you came today thinking of a Thanksgiving sermon complete with pilgrims and such, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's not quite there. Instead, we're going to talk a little bit about, briefly about the context of uh, end times and persecution. <laughs> Yay. Thanksgiving. Okay. Okay. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then I will read the scripture. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our time together as we gather, as we do each Sunday, to hear your word and to be instructed by it. And it is my prayer that as we read and as we hear, um, that the words of my mouth will be pleasing to you, and that they would be edifying for the body. And I pray, God, that as we hear these words, we would all hold fast to what is good, and reject those things that are not. And so, God, we ask that uh, you be glorified in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the text today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 24. Uh, Verses 1 through uh, 10 are really for me the, to, to bring the context of what I want to preach on, which is uh, really the following verses after that. But I want to start with chapter 1, or uh, verse 1. <clears throat> now, the concerning, of the t- concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle encourage the faint-hearted help the weak be patient with them all see that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you do not quench the spirit Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So it's uh, been an interesting—it's uh, an interesting time we live at. Uh, a few weeks ago, Jonathan preached uh, from Esther, um, a sermon, and in it he talked about this idea of living in an unprecedented time, and and talked over and over about all the ways it's been used. And you know, it was very catchy. So I thought I'd throw that as my sermon title and cross out the the UN. And and as I look at it, it is um, the context of what Paul writing to the Thessalonians um, is it's about. And that is this. As the church began to grow, particularly amongst the Gentiles, there was persecution happening. And knowing that there is this day of the Lord out there when the Lord would return, that there would experience, there, there would be this you know, tribulation and the Lord's return. They thought that they might be living then at the end of time, but people were dying. And they had questions about, well, what happens to them and, you know, all these kinds of things. And Paul instructs them. In fact, he has to do more instructions in his second letter to the Thessalonians as well. Um, the, The thing about it is this, we all understand that Jesus is going to return someday, we don't know when. None of us do. Jesus himself testified that he didn't know the day, only his heavenly father. We don't know. And yet, I get asked all the time, do you think we're in the last days? Do we think that the Lord's going to come soon? Do we think that tribulation will happen or, you know, these things? In fact, um, I think because of coronavirus, and then because of the election, and then the uncertainty of all these things, I've received that question a lot. And it might be the context of me working at Providence Academy where we have this big range of people's beliefs in their denominations, but I was getting it a lot. Dan, you get it some here too? And the reality is this, Throughout the history of the church, from the day Jesus ascended to heaven until now, there are good times and there are bad times. There are times when the church is thriving and doing well, and there are other times where the church is being persecuted. And there are times under that persecution where the church has done fantastically. like in, It's just a, a shining uh, example of what the church can do in times of persecution, such as uh, during times of plague where the church is, is uh, out burying bodies and taking care of the sick, and when the plague lifts, the whole city seems to be Christian, and it's just great. Other times we've done uh, not so well, you know, and we end up... Uh, uh, hoarding things and kind of being off by, our, uh, by ourselves and incurring more wrath and um, from outsiders and things like that. The reality is, is that if people are to ask me, are we in the end times, I'm, my answer is always yes. And we might be in that end times for another 2,000 years. I just don't know. Do I think that the church is heading to a place where there's going to be persecution? My answer is Yes. But I don't know if it's gonna be in the next 10 years or the next 50 years, I don't know. My best guess is that there's a trend or a tendency within our our country right now that religious liberty is going to be on the line. And as a person in charge of of a Christian school, I find myself preparing for that, right? It's a good thing to be prepared in case those kind of liberties are attacked and there might be persecution. Um, And and that's fine. But I don't know. What I do know is that Paul, uh, speaking to the, or writing to the Thessalonians who are undergoing a time of persecution, he instructs them how we ought to live. How we ought to live. And to me, I think this is the thing that we need to, to delve into and look at and hold on to. Because even if we're not being persecuted now, it's not a great time. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm, how many of you guys are just, wish we could fast forward a little bit, just kind of get, right? It's, 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 um, it, and that's with the hopes that things are going to get better, and not an expectation that things are going to get worse, and, and I don't know the answer to that, which brings up more anxiety, doesn't it? The hard part is, is that when there are things that seem out of our control, you know, things like viruses. Uh, things like decisions being made in Madison or Washington, D.C. that affects everyone, we, the less and less control we have of those kinds of things, the more anxiety builds, right? And we, we just get stressed about this, and we're living in one of those times. So what I want to do is look at these instructions that Paul gives us and think, okay, how, do we, how can we apply this to us and to our situation? First of all, I want to start up here with with, uh, something that Paul says at the end of that first uh, section. And he says, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, uh, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, if we start with this, we understand one thing. God has destined us for salvation. God has destined us for salvation. And that he's accomplished it already through Jesus Christ. So to start with, we win. Right? So just to start with, we win. So whatever happens in the future, whether it's a persecution, whether it's horrible stuff, whether it's uh, you know, every, the world just goes to hell in a handbasket. I don't know. The thing that we can be assured of is this, is we win. Because it's been accomplished in Jesus. Now, what do I mean by we win? Well, it's obtaining salvation. It's obtaining salvation. You're on this planet for a particular purpose, And that purpose is is that you're going to be conformed into the image of his son and you're going to live in eternity with him. Yay, now you know the purpose of life. I should say amen and we can go, right? But but that's that's the end. This is what God has in mind. He's made us in his image. Because of sin, the fall, we've all been affected by it. And God has sent his son, Jesus, first to die in our stead so that those sins that we've committed are forgiven and we have peace with God. His righteousness has been imputed to us, right? Just as our sin has been imputed to Jesus. We are justified through him and it's awesome. Except that I still sin. I'm, I'm still, I still struggle with it. So do you. We all do. So God, in this time of living, in walking with him, he begins to save us from that sin that's still existing in us, and that is called sanctification. And in the end, when the Lord returns and the dead are raised and we are with him and changed forever, we will be exactly how we are intended to be. We will be fully sanctified and glorified uh, that day. So we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved all through Jesus, and it's not of your doing. It's what he's done, thank God. So we start off thinking we win, we know we win, and he has a plan and a purpose. So then there's, of course, there's this therefore in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another just as you are doing. And that gives segue to this this section of, well, how shall we live? How then shall we live as Christians who are under persecution or in hard times? Well, he first starts off with the uh, idea of fulfilling obligations to others. And the first, he says, our obligations are to our elders, he says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So in this period of uncertainty and time or in these quote-unquote unprecedented times, which are have been precedent because there have been tough times all the time, Paul says, first of all, you have an obligation to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and they, that admonish you. Don't you love that? So I was, a, I don't know if you know this, but I pastored for a while. And um, I will say that most people really, also most people kind of like the fact, this idea of being admonished, being instructed, uh, even being warned, that they appreciate it, but not everybody. Not everybody. Um, I recall many times where I've had people come up to me upset with my sermon because they thought I was talking about them. And since they weren't the person in mind and the Holy Spirit convicted of them, then they were right. I was. I was. It's not an easy job. Uh, it's a burden. Uh, it's a burden because every single one of the flock, there's a there's a sense of responsibility, and not all of our flock stay on the right path. And a- anyone that's straying off the path, there's concern and it's stressful and it's worry and it's I got to we got to reach out and we got to do something, and it's and it's hard. Like Jesus talks about leaving the ninety nine for the one and then you leave the 99 for the one, and then what happens to 99, right? It's just its just a constant, it's tough. It's not good work. I remember my, so my dad's here. Hi, dad. Um, my dad was a pastor, and I remember sensing a call to ministry one time, and I asked him, he says, well, if you can do something else, you should do it. Like, I like guess, why would you do this? Like, God has to call you and get you in there, because its it's really not a, usually you do it for the the benefits, right? The high salary and the free time. That was a joke, by the way. I love how my atheist friends will sometimes point to some guy who's making millions of dollars, some charlatan out there, and talking about how we should not have these tax benefits or all whatever. And I'm like going, really? Why don't you look up the average salary of a pastor and then come back to me? But it's it's... It's because of a call. It's because of, and what, they're, what God is saying to us through his word is that those who God has called to do this work, we're obligated to respect them and to love them, to esteem them highly, and, and to be at peace amongst ourselves, right? So it's, it's, it's you know, I teach at Providence and there are those times when I got the seventh graders and I'm, I, I've given them some instructions and I walk out the door and I'm three steps down the hall and I can hear that just chaos is broke, right? And I have to come back in and I have to get them all settled back down and, and you walk out there and they're, you know, and it would be so nice if they would just be at peace and just do what they ought to do, right? So Paul's obligating us to do this. The word of God is obligating us to do this. Not only should we respect and esteem our elders and those who labor over us, we have the obligation to be at peace with one another. An obligation to be at peace with one another. But then he goes on, we urge you brothers, or I'm sorry, he says, uh, um, and yeah, be at peace amongst others. Then he says to, to us, we have obligations then to each other. And, and he he says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. So these become our, the congregation's obligations to each other. And, and the, the reason why he throws in this term brothers is to, so that we are assured of that. Paul doesn't say, and we, incur, we urge you, elders, to do these things. He says to, to the brothers, to us, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. And, and this is how I like to put it. There's persecution happening in the church. There's tough times. And, and Paul right here is addressing four kinds of people in the church. There are those who lose their way. There are those who lose their heart. There are lo- those who lose their strength. And there are those who lose their patience, okay? Now, just think about right now, under COVID and all the election junk and stuff, and you could probably think of those people, right? In this stressful time, in these things, we know that there are some people who lose their way. I almost wanted to say who lose their mind, and and this is why. Paul uses this word, uh, admonish the idle. I think when I was growing up and looking at this, I, almost, I always thought that he's talking about lazy people. Admonish the lazy, you know, the idle who aren't doing anything. But the word here has to do with, um, as a military term, which means being out of step. So, so think, of the, think of everyone marching, right? And there's the one guy who's, who's off, or maybe marching in the wrong direction, Right? And, and this word is, is used as like, if you're not marching in step, if you're not going in step, um, you're not doing the right things or doing what you ought to. And the word here, to admonish, has to do with, it could be translated a number of ways, but it it's always has to do with instruction. It has to do with um, keeping something before someone's mind. It could be. Uh, it could be translated. Remind someone. It could be instruct someone. It could be warn something. But it's someone. But the idea is, it's an instruction of the mind in order to get people in step with what they ought to do. Now, I, I see this all the time. Stresses happen. Big things happen. And what happens is, you have people who then get frozen. I don't, I don't it, there's all the stress, I don't know what to do. And then they don't do anything, right? Now, some of you could maybe like, yeah, I'm kind of like that. And the, and the idea here is, is that Paul is saying to the congregation, look, you need, to, you need to be the people who are helping those people who are out of step, who are kind of lost here. You, you, need to, you need to admonish them, you need, need to teach them. Uh, my nephew uh, just got done with basic training in the Marines, and we were watching the video of them marching back. Let's just say not everyone was marching in step, right? The first thing, when, when Wendy showed uh, my dad it on Facebook the other night, uh, or last night, um, you could hear the the drill sergeants giving the, the cadence, right? And my dad automatically, because he was in the Army, started, How <laughs> was it? Your mother was there on your left, your right, or something like that, right? But this is why drill instructors do that. They're they're giving the constant, you know, so you know which foot belongs, right? And this is what we're supposed to do as a congregation is to reach out those who are kind of stuck and help unstick them by teaching them, by reminding them of the hope we have in in the Lord, Uh, instructing them, helping them so that they can... Walk once again in steps. So they're doing what they ought in this time. Second, he says um, to encourage the faint-hearted. And this is kind of a fun one. The, the, the word literally faint-hearted is small-souled. Uh, small-souled, Small like as in your soul. Um, or thin-souled, right? The opposite would be fat-souled. That's kind of but the, the thin-souled. And, and the idea here is, is um, the, so the Greeks and the, the Romans have different ideas of how to talk about uh, things bodily, right? Our, uh, a great translation is to encourage the faint-hearted. Because when, when we think of someone who's, who's lost the will to do something, we think of it as they've lost heart, correct? They would say it as something about their soul. They've become thin, thin in the soul, right? We call it the heart. So it's a great translation. It's a, it's, a, it, it gives us the the idea. So we're, there are some people when these stresses come, they would like to do the right thing. They would like to continue on. They have this, um, they have that uh, the thought, the right thoughts, the right desire. They just, they've just lost the courage to do it. They've lost that kind of of strength and what they need from other people in the congregation is to be able to in, encourage them to get, literally give them the courage to do the things that they ought to. And and I've seen that too going on with COVID. Like it's just it's just this one last thing. It's like the straw that broke the camel's back and they don't they give up the will to get to the grocery store, whatever it might be. And what they need is they need people to come around, behind, around them to encourage them to be able to do what they need to. But there are others who aren't able to do anything because they're weak. Those who lose their strength help the weak. And, and this usually has the idea of infirmity, those who are sick, those who have, who have gotten to a point where they, they have not the strength to do the things that they would like to or ought to, and the word here is not, uh, is better, to, the better translation would be hold fast. Hold fast to the weak. Hold fast to those who are sick. Hold fast to those who are, who are dying. Hold fast to, to those. And that's hard in our culture. It, it's difficult in our culture because we're very busy. And holding fast to those who are sick, holding fast to those who have lost strength is a difficult thing. Um, it doesn't, you know, shooting an email when you have a chance can encourage someone who needs encouragement. Sending an email to someone or a, a text message to someone who's, uh, who's kind of lost their way and you want to kind of help them out, that can work. Um, but holding fast to someone who is uh, becoming weaker and weaker typically requires presence. And it's very difficult. Um, and and I, I, had a, uh, I had a situation when I was a pastor once where a, a man's father died suddenly um, up in the UP. Um, well, he, got, he had a stroke suddenly, moved to um, St. Vincent's down here. And I, I remember being up there and his, his father passed and uh, how hard that was on him. And uh, I was there, I wept with him, we prayed together. The next day, I was over at his house to talk to him, and we worked with his pastor up north on a funeral. I, my family and I, we made it up there and for the funeral. I remember meeting with him, uh, you know, that next week, and then there were some guys in the church who were like, you know, we want to walk along with him, and they were going to breakfast with him for, for quite a while, and, uh, and then I would you know, give him a phone call about once a month, you know, how you doing, how's, how's things, and, and then after a few months, then we kind of moved on, and uh, I remember on the one-year anniversary of his father's death, I called him to see how he was doing, and it was a very awkward conversation. It just seemed kind of weird, so I suggested we get together. And we got together and I found out he was angry with me. He was just mad because I had let him down. And, uh, and he said this interesting thing. Um, as I talked about how we were caring for him and how these guys from the church were, right? I'm like, you know, because I get reports. One of them was one of our deacons, right? So I, and he said, yeah, but we pay you. We pay you to do this and you didn't, you know, and it was just this weird thing. I was very, I had no idea what to do. I apologized to him. Was, what do you do with that? I'm so sorry, you know, would you? <laughs> and and it, from that time, it became a, uh, an interesting thing for me to try to figure out how do you take care of people? How do you care for people? I've never been very good at it. And, and here's the thing is, is that, um, I don't know how many people are in our congregation now. 300? 350 400 I don't know I'm on I'm on sabbatical I lose track and uh, every one of you has a different expectation every one of you has a different expectation of what you need and and some of us I mean I'll just say like when you go through something you don't even know what you need so whatever whoever's trying to take care of you they're, they're going to miss your expectation cuz you know I I don't know right it's just it's just hard And this is one of the things I I need to urge us in advance, just in case something bad happens, is this, is that um, it's all our responsibility. And if if you're going through something and someone from the congregation is out there to care for you, to encourage you, or to help you when you're weak or whatever, this isn't the pastor sending in the B team. Does that make sense? It's not the pastor sending in the B team. This is what the church is to do. My, my, this one congregant, it was almost like it, none of that care counted because it wasn't directly from me. And I, wanna, I just want to say that, that that's a lie that he believed. It's a lie that he believed. Don't believe that lie. The instructions from God's word is this. We, as a congregation, have a responsibility to do these things. Okay? And to be at peace with one another and to respect those who are over you and to love them and esteem them highly. Now, in a day and age when things are going great, no one cares. But when, I was about to say, when things hit the fan, I couldn't think of a new word off the top of my head. When things hit the fan, Boy, are these things necessary for us to know and understand and to live by. But then God gives us, uh, the Lord gives us uh, some admonishment uh, to, or instruction here, some imperatives. And I'm going to go real quick here with this because this will get to the Thanksgiving. There are certain pious things that we are obligated to do ourselves, we are to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. Let me say that again. You have the responsibility to yourself to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. None of these things are easy. What does it mean to rejoice? Well, rejoice is simply the verbal way of joy, of saying joy, right? Joy is a noun. How do, you, how do you say joy in a verbal sense? You say rejoice, but then it doesn't work well in English. So I really like the term gladden, right? Um, to, to, as a verb, to gladden. That g- g- comes from an ancient Norse way. Uh, uh, the original etymology of that is um, to make bright or shiny. The idea here is uh, the old Norsemen in the, the dark su- uh, winters, Right? To make things glad, they would light fires, and it would, it would lighten the house, it would warm the house, it would, it would, make, things, it would make things good. So the, the, rejoice has the same idea, to make glad, to make, right? We have that responsibility to, to do that. We have the responsibility to pray without ceasing, or a, a better way, I think, is to say without intermission. In other words, if you've, you establish a prayer life, don't skip it. Don't don't skip it. Uh, I have done that one time when I was in uh, just in college, and I started working on a, a six or seven days a week it was stupid. Two jobs, three jobs technically. And after a while, um, one of the places I worked at was in Los Angeles at a, a, an aerobics. Uh, Nautilus Aerobics Fitness Plus, so I was the head weight training, and it was Los Angeles in the 1980s, and let's just say the temptations were great there, and I had uh, women who worked there um, who knew that I was a Christian, and their whole intent was to try to uh, talk about their sexual exploits in front of me to embarrass me. And what I realized is that over time I was having a, some major struggles and what, what I realized and God kind of revealed to me is I had been completely on my, I had not kept praying. I had been neglecting these things. So I did, I did what I ought to do and that is, is I want to fulfill those obligations. I knew it was best for me. I wanted to make sure that I got to church and that I started reestablishing a prayer life. That I could that I could stay blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Then, then really quick, three more things that he says not to do. Right? Don't um, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies or teachings, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. And the whole purpose of of what God is doing on the world is to sanctify us. The instructions Paul gives us is that this is what our obligations are in the sanctifying process for the church as a whole. And understanding that God is the one who's doing it through us. God of peace himself sanctifies completely that we may be your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and he who calls you is faithful I might be faithless you might be faithless your elders might let you down your pastor might let you down I don't know it happens Jesus will not God will never ever ever let you down He is faithful. If he's called you to himself and is going to sanctify you and get you ready for salvation, he is going to do it. He is going to do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word to us. Uh, It is a weird time we live in and you know that but we also know that these times are not something that surprise you. You are the author of time. I pray, God, that you would help us to focus on your will and your purposes in this time, particularly our sanctification. And I pray as we see these things, of what you've commanded us in your word to do, I pray that we would take them seriously and that we would particularly... Uh, rejoice always that we would pray without intermission and father even as our our nation celebrates thanksgiving this thursday that we would learn to give thanks not just once a year um, and not just in the good times lord but always in all circumstances because we know that this is your will for us in christ jesus thank you lord amen